0: Hi, and welcome to Nick Flanagan Weekly. How are you doing? I am happy for you because you're listening to this, and I'm in a good mood, and you're in a good mood, and we're going to have a good time. Uh, You're going to listen to this podcast, and afterwards you're going to close your flip phone, which you were listening to this on, and you're going to say, boy, was that ever fun, to the random stranger on the subway. And they'll say, why aren't you wearing your mask? And you'll say, because it's 2014. And they'll say, no, it's 2021. And then you'll say, well, I felt so good listening to this podcast, I thought it was 2014. Thank you for listening to Nick Flanagan Weekly. I am the titular host, Nicholas. And I was going to record this yesterday and tell you what I listened to yesterday. So I guess I'll also tell you what I listened to today. Not that impressive today. Yesterday, Hawkwind. I listened to Hawkwind. And after that, I listened to that band, The Gun Club. Good music too. But uh, have you heard The Gun Club? They've got a very classic song called Sex Beat. They also have the song Fire of Love. They had a lot of good songs. They're one of those bands that people say is cool and that they love. And then uh, you you sort of go, yeah, me, I think they're great too. At some point, not everybody knows the Gun Club. Kid Congo Powers was in the group. Amazing um, musician. and So then you go check out the Gun Club, right? If you're a curious person. And this happens so much with uh, cool kind of punk slash, like, I don't know, punk rock and roll, you know? People are talking about how good it is. Then you turn it on, and it's a lot more rockabilly than you thought it would be. That's a bit of a. That, you got to really prepare yourself for that. Nobody tells you. You're like, yeah, I'll check out that band, Crime. They all dress like police. They're from San Francisco in the late 70s. This sounds great. And then you listen, and it's like, you know, Gene Vincent music, which is good music, but. You know, it's, uh, you gotta accept it first. You need to be forewarned. Cramps, kind of the same thing. Gun Club, same thing. I don't know. I'll even throw Johnny Thunders in the mix. Why not? So, this is good music, but you have to know that a lot of this, sort of the cool punk, it's got like a rockabilly pompadour thing going on, and you've gotta accept it or you won't listen to it. And you have to listen to it if you want to be cool. I don't think that's true anymore. But when I was a youth, I had to listen to that kind of music to be cool. It was just part of the deal. You know the Cramps were on an episode of Beverly Hills 90210? And then apparently Jason Priestley was a fan of Susie and the Banshees. All of this is thanks to the woman who played Emily Valentine, Christina Lees. Very cool person from all I heard. And she directed the episode that the cramps were in. But here is where the theme of this podcast starts. As you may know, I am constantly livid because I'm rewatching Beverly Hills 90210 after carefully keeping my eye out to get the DVDs because I find it a little hard to stream. And all the original music is gone. The set, like you know, the original soundtrack is there. The you know, do do that's there, but none of the music. And I've talked about this before. I won't get too into it. So, you, and that's including the many plots where the nightclub that Valerie had. Spoiler alert! All the weird. Why are they here? Alternative acts at the time. Flaming Lips who were not popular at that time Cramps They all play it, plot points happen But Those scenes aren't in it That is a desecration I'm accepting it because the show is still good But it's a desecration You know it, I know it Ghost of Aaron Spelling knows it Darren Starr knows it Charles Rosen who was one of the writers knows it Priestley knows it And I think Maybe my destiny is to be the person who organizes a large enough petition to release the DVDs for free to anyone who wants them with the original music. For free. That would just be such an achievement. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I accidentally saw a changed version of a movie that I used to relax with like an old cup of milk. That's not an old cup of A warm cup of milk. Before bedtime. I would... I would watch Little Shop Before I Was Growing Up. The musical from the 1980s. Amazed by its... Little... Satire, sweetness, darkness. Great performances all around from Rick Moranis and Ellen Green. Guy from the Four Tops had a great voice. Really questionable. Um, I don't know. Allegorical stereotyping with the plant. But I'm not sure. I The whole thing felt very satirical, so I don't really know if it was intended to be something too negative. But definitely... There are some awkward moments of, is this racist, when you watch Little Shop of Horrors 1987, I believe is when it came out. So it was Halloween night. I thought it was the perfect night to just watch Little Shop of Horrors, to close things off. Blah, blah, blah. It was so fun, so good. Turns out it's the Director's Cup we were watching. And at the end, everything was different than what I grew up watching. The ending that I watched. And I'm not going to spoil it for you. I will just say that this new ending did not work for me. Which is odd because it was the original ending. And they actually had to um, change it after test screenings rated it super low. And it's a very downer ending. It's kind of cataclysmic, but it's a downer. And to me, that just... I get why they changed the ending. Nobody wanted to see this. It turned it into some sort of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes type of movie. You know, kind of a campy, nobody's actually... uh, matters, nothing matters, this is all very silly kind of thing. Whereas the other one, it ended almost... In two fantastical fantasy-driven away. What does that mean? The other one, you know, I I mean, if you haven't seen Little Shop of Horrors, which is an, almost a forty-year-old movie at this point, uh, I should be able to spoil. It. But I'll just say it has a happy ending, which doesn't really make sense given the uh, uh, what mostly happens in the movie. But at the same time, that's what was sort of funny about it to me growing up was. The ridiculousness of that. But look, I just was not ready for this colossal difference. Wasn't ready for it. Have you seen this new ending? What did you think? I just read an article that was like, this is what it was intended, and it turns it into a classic. Say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. You've bought into Frank Oz's PR. They just feel bad that they guessed so wrong what would work. And big deal, it's closer to the ending of the stage play. The stage play is for, like, people who've watched hair in the 1970s. Shit's from the 1970s. Nobody wants this. You think musicals in the 1970s had good endings? I don't think so. And I don't want proof that I'm wrong. Just, I'm just going to be stubborn in that belief. And it's funny. I started thinking about changes to movies after the fact changes. Additions, subtractions. Steven Spielberg very famously, and it, to my eyes, a little suspiciously, took out the line "penis breath" from uh, E.T. All of us who grew up of a certain age absolutely remember. Maybe Drew Barrymore's character calls Elliot's car- her brother uh, "peanut breath," pe- peanut, peanut breath. Pe- that's what they probably changed it to, "penis breath," and. It was just sort of a disgusting taunt that, uh, I mean, movies really did teach us how to bully each other in a semi-comical way as kids. And that's probably not healthy. But look, it's not that big a deal. Just keep it in. And he didn't. He removed it in, in fu- future releases. And I have a copy in VHS. I am willing to sell you. Because the reselling I do is uh, strong, it remains strong. And then Aliens is an interesting one because I just watched Aliens. I think I talked about this in the last episode. Uh, I just watched Aliens on VHS and it was perfect for VHS. I feel like it was meant to be in VHS. The, the sort of dark non-lighting that is in your classic the murkiness of a VHS tape makes the special effects seem even better. And I just loved it. But this version that I had was missing a scene that was added later. And I will spoil this for you, maybe. Well, basically, I won't even spoil that for you. But there is a crucial scene missing in the first, in, in the first like, 20 minutes of Aliens that completely, if, if, when it's in the movie, it makes you really get why she loves Newt, the little girl character who they save uh, from from the space station uh, or from the colony why she's so protective of Newt and why she's so invested in helping this little Moppeth get off the planet with them. And without that information the way she acts towards Newt doesn't really make as much sense. So they added that later. So good on you, James Cameron. That was a good call. And then I asked some of you's you know, what uh, what bothered you that uh, it, that was changed in a film? And unfortunately, a lot of you answered about movies I haven't seen. So, uh, Adam, my man, Adam Jackson, real said, "The Terminator Two Director's Cut ruins the magic of the Terminator, growing as a person." Because it explains that they remove some inhibitor chip. Works better as a bit of magic, IMO. That, I'm kind of into that. What, what Adam is saying, you know? Sometimes when you over-explain, it, you, you, it, it's like when you find out what the Burger King's sauce is. You're disgusted. Or the Big Mac sauce. You're disgusted. You're like, oh, that's what it is that I like. But when you don't know what it is, you're like, wow, this is great. So James Cameron gets one point for Aliens and what he added. Loses that point for putting too much back in the Terminator 2 director's cut. And did Terminator 2 need a director's cut? I think everybody pretty much agreed it was uh, everything it needed to be. Nobody needed more or less of when we saw the first Terminator 2. The first cut of Terminator 2. And then uh, Jeff Hayward says, I saw a cut of The Wicker Man in theaters that had an additional scene at the end, as well as a few alternate scenes throughout the movie, I think. But the theatrical ending was so unnecessary and basically ruined the preceding scene, the real ending. And James Franco is in it. Um, I did not see The Wicker Man. It sounds like I should watch it. I'm a big Nicolas Cage guy. And now I don't know whether I should see it or not. So, Jeff, thank you. I am interested. And I... um, Sounds like the ending is going to be a problem no matter what. In the Wicker Man. I've never even seen the original Wicker Man. Noah Love, good writer, nice person, says... I'm not in the original Star Wars was sacred and hallowed ground camp, but Lucas inserting Jar Jar's voice and Anakin's ghost into the end of Jedi was a crime against cinema. Now, I've actually gotten used to Anakin's ghost, I guess. I guess. But the whole thing, he just kept changing Star Wars, and I think that that he really missed an opportunity there by. Not really by getting too obsessive about changing the originals and then that kind of coincided with when he gave what's what's it called when he gave um, when he gave Yoda animated eyes or something like he he would animate puppet eyes take out their puppet eyes and put animated eyes on them. And then in, in um, Return of the Jedi, there's a, they added a part where Darth Vader goes, No! Echoing when he goes, No, in the, the third movie. The whole thing with start, so, you know, you start with Greedo shoots first, or Han shoots first, Greedo shoots first. I don't care about that. They can change that. It doesn't make any difference to me. I didn't even see that scene where the whole thing is you know, Greedo tries to find Han Solo in the cantina in the first movie and Han's like, oh, Greedo, uh, how's it going? And then boom, takes up Greedo, shoots first. And then they change it later on to make Han more likable and make Greedo shoot first. But when I watched Star Wars, it was some TV version that my dad taped from TV with commercials, and he, he, they didn't have even the Greedo scene at all. I only found out about Greedo because they like show him for a second in the cantina. So what do I know? Anyway. Go on and out about Star Wars. But Greedo shoots first. Walking Jabba was a problem. It was when they did those special editions and there was just these animation editions, and they like made the Star Wars band too animated it's always these sci-fi movies you know and also Apocalypse Now which again I saw on VHS the first time and then I saw the director's cut which was everyone was touting like it was the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life the uh, remake of uh, the, the director's cut of Apocalypse Now and then you watch it and it's like 45 minutes of they go to like a French plantation. It's not that exciting. I don't, again, I don't need extra. <laughs> don't give me extra. Give me stuff that makes the other thing, things make more sense emotionally. Go by feel. Does it feel right? Navid Koval, David Bukovny. Hasn't changed his Halloween name. Respect, neither have I. I had never seen Blade Runner with the original cheesy film noir voiceover narration track, and wow, did I hate it. See, I saw Blade Runner with the narration, and then I watched the director's cut, and it was way better. That's one where it's like way better. Because... When I did watch it with the narration, uh, it was awkward. Definitely awkward. You can really feel that Harrison Ford was pissed at to do narration. You can feel it in his pissed off voice. Anyway. The Butterfly, Shauna, Diet Coke for Breakfast, says, The Butterfly Effect Director's Cut or Bust. Theatrical ending was a huge cop-out. Director's Cut is perfectly batshit. Haven't seen the Butterfly Effect. Now's the time. I'm going to have a day where I watch Da Vinci Code, Constantine, and Butterfly Effect, Director's Cut. Thank you, Shauna. Um, and then... Who oh, is it? Where, where are we at here? Oh, Yeah. My man Luke, a.k.a. Jixby Phillips, goes, Dumb and Dumber is now mostly only available in an unrated cut, which adds back in a lot of edgier jokes, including Lloyd being a legitimately gross, mean-spirited creep instead of the more sweet-natured buffoon he is in the theatrical cut. Nasty stuff. Too rude. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm talking about. You watch Dumb and Dumber and you're like, well, I don't need them to be grosser. And then they did the unrated cut, and it's grosser. Well, nobody's happy now. Well, you think I want to watch Jeff Daniels eat poop? No way, Jose. No way. You ask me, the real dumb and dumber are those directors who changed it. Well, this was fun. And, of course, if you have any ideas for a topic or if you have any changes to films and re-releases and the like that that you feel strongly about, recommend I watch, let me know, weeklypodcast at gmail.com. That's W-E-A-K-L-Y, podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much. If you are listening to this on the day of its release, which should be Thursday, November 4th, this very night, at about 9 o'clock, I'll be performing at Laugh Sabbath at Comedy Bar. So pick up some tickets online. Have a good time. It'll be fun. And on Monday, I'll be at Nothing's Fancy Bar with my good man, Ben Steger. Have a great week. Have a great day. Have a great night. Live your life. If you want to support the podcast, check out ko-fi.com slash Nick or go to nickflanagan.bandcamp.com and purchase one of my albums. You won't regret it. Take care.